Ashley Banfield here, and this is Rising Tide, the place where I bring some of the greatest mentor minds to you. If you care about your craft and you want to be better at what you do, I want to help you with that. You know, it's easy to assume that you need an Ivy League education to really make it big. But each month, I feature VIP mentors who are leaders in their industry, and they say, that's not true. They're going to prove to you that you don't have to have highbrow connections to create your own personal best. And they've agreed to share their tips, their secrets, and their career advice with you. This is Rising Tide. She's a fixture. We all know who Joy Behar is. She's a fixture on American TV. And whether you know her from two decades on ABC's top-rated program, The View, or if you know her, if you're lucky enough to know her from her phenomenal stand-up appearances, maybe her signature interviews of all the politicians and the artists, uh, she is an original voice without question. She's a terrific comic, and she's a leading woman on both the stage and the screen. Her TV career beyond The View has spanned HBO, Amazon, HLN, Current TV, and the list goes on. On radio, she hosted the Joy Behar show on WABC. She's appeared in films and on the theatrical stage, including her own solo show called Me, My Mouth and I. I love that title. And she's currently working on the production of her brand new play called Crisis in Queens. I can't wait. Along with winning the 2009 Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Talk Show Hosts, uh, Joy is also the recipient of three Mac Awards, a Cable Ace Award, a 2000 GLAAD Award for her enduring friendship with the LGBTQ community. Um, she has written five, five books, including two children's books. Her most recent book is The Great Gas Bag, an A to Z study guide to surviving Trump world. And it was released in October of 2017. Welcome, Joy. Well, thank you for having me. This is so great. Um I love I love getting us all together, even if it's virtual. I wish we were all in a big auditorium together, but this makes it very convenient. Um, basically, what this is, is a, a big group of people, some young, some not young, all looking to get better in this business. And who better to turn to than the people who've made it to the top? So you, my friend, are, are one of them. I'm going to start right in with our first question from Wyatt Sharp. Wyatt is a... 14-year-old, just turned in the last couple of weeks, 14, eighth grader, who has his own YouTube show. He's interviewed the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, world leaders, um, all these politicians and um, journalists from all over the world at this young age. But he's a real go-getter. And so I, I really am glad that he starts off our questions today. He asks, Joy, when you disagree with a guest or when the guest has answers that aren't factual, how do you respectfully call them out? How have you done that in the past? Uh, when I disagree with a guest? Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you just kind of have to gently say, I guess, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with that. And then tell them what you what you think. Where is Wyatt? Can I see him over here? Let's see, Wyatt. Can you do a big wave? Hopefully he's got his camera on. Just looking to see. Maybe he's in the more. I mean, you have a lot of people here, so... Huh? There's a lot. Uh, I'm just seeing if his camera, he may be, he may be in class, so he can't keep his camera on. Yeah. I mean, the way that you, the way that you would disagree with anybody, I guess, in, in, in any conversation, you know, I respectfully disagree with that, or I, I don't agree with that, or you don't just say, you know, you're wrong, that would be tacky. But, um, you know, like that, it's really not that complicated. Just say, I'm sorry, I don't agree with you. 
Have you have you arrived at that uh, through a lengthy career or did you have that inclination at the very beginning to sort of stand your ground and say, I'm going to just go there, uh, even though it may not feel um, pretty or lovely or polite. I'm just going to be real and I'm going to just do what I feel is right. I really do believe in just being your authentic self on television. I do believe also that people can tell if you're a phony or not on TV. It's one of those magical things, you know, the audience can smell a phony. But, you know, I started in this industry when I was almost 40. I was a school teacher. I was married with a child. Uh, my husband and I got divorced uh, when I was around 40 or 41, and I launched an entire new career for myself. So I've always been who I am because that is who I started out being. I didn't have a chance to come up with a persona. I was the person. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but you had that you had that wherewithal to not I was let always you... treated in my family like I knew what I was talking about, whether it was true or not. So, (laughs) you know, my mother, they often ask my mother, why didn't Joy go to Catholic school? And she said she didn't want to go. So that that pretty much sums up my childhood. I I called the shots. And so when I'm in my career now and and in my career as a teacher or whatever else I did, I was always the same person. Nothing's changed. So you don't feel like you've evolved with the norms that uh, have slowly been shattered, especially for women in in the media. I, I haven't evolved at all, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I am the same as I always was. I don't think there's any evolving that went on here. It just is the same person. <laughs> I mean, yes, I know that there's sexism, there's ageism out there, but I don't I don't really pay attention to it. It's like, you know, you do what you do. They do what you do. To people. They look at what they're talking about, Joe Biden, that he's too old. And then he showed us last night. No, I'm not. I'm not too old. I can do this and I can take on a lot of hecklers. He reminded me of a good stand-up comic, you know, who can handle hecklers. And uh, he's 80 years old. They're all over him about it. Meanwhile, Trump is pushing 80 also. So what's the big deal? So that's interesting. You mentioned the um, the ageism because Zoe, who's in Edmonton, she was the one who welcomed us all to the to the frightful cold of Edmonton. Uh, She says. She asks, have you ever experienced ageism and how do you protect yourself in the industry? Maybe expand a little bit on it. You know, where did it present itself? How did it present itself and how your initial reaction was to the way you prosecuted uh, your way out of it? Ageism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't suffer from ageism, particularly in my specific field. I'm not an actor, particularly. So. I am a person who has opinions and thoughts. And so it's a it's a, um, a specific skill. And I think that you can't really um, practice ageism uh, in, in the field that I'm in because you might find a younger person who doesn't have the same personality, for example, that I have. So I don't think that ageism enters into it here. But um, I do feel that it's out there quite a bit. I mean, it's the last, look at, like I said, they just keep bringing up Joe Biden's age. That's ageism right there. You know, um, and as an as a now I'm starting a new career. The, the the way to stay good in this world is to keep reinventing yourself. No matter what, I don't care what it is that you're going to try to do. I mean, people are wondering uh, how to do a, a long career because longevity is the key to the city, right, Ashley? You know that you've been on TV a long time, thirty five years. Right, longevity is what you want because you can have a um, a career that that, that sparkles 
for like on a sitcom, let's say for three, four years, and then they never hear from you again. So, and that's not enough money to live on. What you need is a steady salary for for your whole uh, career. So um, I would say just keep keep uh, keep your eye on the ball and don't and ignore the isms. Just ignore them and go straight ahead. And if they don't like it, too bad. You know, I'm writing plays now. Um, I mean, it's not like I'm a novice at writing, but this is I'm a new at playwriting. But I took it on. I'm taking it on. And uh, I could be embarrassed by my production for all I know. Who knows? If it's did, to... did you have a calling? Did something take you there? I mean, this will be helpful guidance for people who are on here and thinking, well, how am I going to know uh, what direction I need to reinvent and what will be the wrong and what will be the right direction? I, I don't think that there's a wrong or a right. I think that you need to just try stuff. Just try stuff. And maybe you have a talent for drawing for all you know. You don't, I, I'm, I don't. I do not. Um, so I know that, <laughs> you know, Phyllis Diller, when she turned um, 85 or something, she said to me, she was great. She said, you know, I, I, after I gave up stand up, I tried writing. It didn't work for me. So now I now I'm painting. And if you if I when I went to her house, she had her paintings all over the house and they had price tags on them. So in case you were visiting and you felt like buying one of her paintings, you could buy one of her paintings. So a comedian, she she. I'm trying to say that we keep moving. We keep moving. We're not. Do, I don't do stand-up comedy anymore. That's in the past. I outgrew it. It's too much. I don't want to do it anymore. So now I'm doing this, and I, and you know you have to take a risk. And 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 you know Malcolm Gladwell says you need ten thousand hours to be proficient at something. So you're not going to be good at anything right away. You're going to have to work at it. And that's a lesson I wish I had known when I was younger because I used to think, oh, well, I. I write a short story, let's say, and it wasn't really, you know, didn't meet with all the acclaim that I wanted it to meet with. And then I say, oh, I'm not a writer. That's not true. You know, I I needed to practice and write more and keep doing it. Same with stand-up comedy. It requires time. You've got to put the time in. Did you ever get low at any point? Like, did you feel that you had a series of failures at any point? Because a lot of people feel like they're just browbeaten and that nothing's working. Nothing's working. I see people nodding right now. Where do you find the strength and courage to say, I'm at a part of the, the, of the um, process. I'm not all the way yet. Oh, the process. Yeah. I mean, you do get stuck. You know, that that's, I mean, like, let's take stand-up comedy, which I'm very familiar with the whole process. When I first got on stage, I was so petrified by, and I was, and I got a great response the first night. Why? Because it was 10 o'clock at night. It was a full house. I had some funny material and the audience loved it. So then the guy who ran the club said, okay, next time I'm putting you on at one in the morning. Okay. And I was like, okay. So they put me on at one in the morning. There's like three alcoholics in the audience, maybe a few smattering of people, and they didn't laugh. And so I thought it was me. It wasn't me exactly. It was the audience at that. But when there's the time slot also, it took me about six months to get over that. And I did not get back on stage for six months. So you have setbacks. You have setbacks. You think you're a failure. You think you can't do it. And then you have to try it again. And you have more information the next time you try it too. So what'd you do with the, in that six months? Like, how did you get from, I don't want to go back on a stage to here I am. Good, good, good everybody. <laughs> um, I just kept writing. I think I just kept writing stuff and thinking about it and maybe going, try, I would have a job, whatever job I had. Like I used to be a receptionist at Good Morning America back in the 1979. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh Yeah. 
Good morning, America. Good morning, America. Good morning, America. I mean, that was me. And um, I was one of their worst receptionists they've ever had at Good Morning America. You can ask anybody over there, actually. They'll tell you. I was bad because I really couldn't tolerate the stupid questions people would ask me as if I knew the answer. Why is Joan London not on today? How do I know? I'm not her mother, I'd say to them, you know. So it was I was a terrible receptionist. But and so because of that, I never got promoted. It took me a year to be promoted to a secretary assistant. Why am I telling this story? I forgot the question. Well, I like it because you're getting this feedback that you're terrible at being the receptionist. But did did you sort did you have that bravado back then to say, well, screw you. I'm great at everything else. Or did you think, oh, I need to take these notes and change? No, no, no. I I used to do stand up uh, at night or on the weekend whenever I could squeeze it in. I'd go to my shrink in the middle of the day on my lunch hour and come back two hours later. So they fired me. I deserve to be fired. Let's face it. And so then I was thrust into the abyss and I said, well, what have you got to lose now? You know, you need the money. You have no money. That's one of my main motivating factors is that I needed to make a living. I was had no money. I was divorced and I was out of a job. I was on unemployment insurance and I had a kid. OK, so I said, look, what have you got to lose? Get on stage. And I would just get on that stage and force myself to do it all the time. You think I wanted to get up uh, out of a nice warm house with a, you know, with a toasty uh, dinner? No. And go out into the cold and then show up at the improv at 10 o'clock at night. And then I, I was horrible. It was difficult, but I kept doing it. I just kept doing it. And I think that um, that's why I succeeded at it because of the perseverance more than anything else. Can I ask you if you were, because I love the fact that you say money's a motivator. I think for a lot of people, Look, we don't have an option. We've got to do this job. We've got to pay our mortgage. We've got to pay the rent. We've got to pay the car payment. And that's why getting fired was it was a gift. Because I, 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 of course, I would have stayed at that job and never become anything but an assistant, probably, which I was not suited to. Even as an assistant, I was awful. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, at that point, I was like 39 years old and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't go back to teaching. It, I was not interested to do that anymore. Um, acting, I tried acting, but there were so many women who were my type that it would have been too hard to get my foot in the door. I didn't have an agent. The only door open to me was the stand-up comedy and they would have audition night and I'd get on the stage and audition at the clubs and then eventually I was accepted and then I would then I moved from there. So it's one step at a time also. It's amazing that you picked maybe the hardest route to get a paycheck. What was that about? Like, why would you choose the toughest line of work? <laughs> That is because it was the only door open in a certain way, you know, and I was I was pretty funny. I mean, I was funny when I was a teacher. I was funny when I worked at the employment center. I was also an employment counsel for New York State Employment. I worked in a mental hospital out in Long Island for a while. What do I every job? What what do you do in the mental hospital? I was teaching um, orderlies to pass the tests and I would have to go into the mental hospital. And so, but every job that I had, I would make friends and I would be funny. And, and at parties, I was funny. So I had this skill that was languishing. I, you know, nothing was being done with it. You have to think to yourself, what is it that I do? What can I do? You know, and, and so I said, well, this is it. I'm just going to try this. And so do you think that whether you were intentional about it, made a list of the assets you had in life, or did it just dawn on you, hey, this is the direction that my uh, 
you know, my life is taking me as opposed to I need to really, really calculate where my advantages and disadvantages are. Because mm. people do say, write a list of what you're good at, what you're bad at, what you want, what you don't want. That's and then an they idea. make it almost like a formula. But do you think you made that formula or do you think it just happened? No, I don't think I made the formula, but I don't think it's a bad idea to take a, make a list of what you're good at and what you're not. I mean, my, I don't believe that people are bad at things that that much. I mean, but sometimes you're really good at one thing, you know, and I was getting really good at that. And so it was paying off. But in the beginning, I was I was collecting unemployment insurance and I was making $20 a set at uh, Catch a Rising Star. That's what they paid, you know. So I was... <laughs> I was struggling. I was struggling, but Did you, it was, was there any point when you, you know, you found this calling, you were funny, you chose that route of where your asset was. Mm-hmm. Was there any point where you got, you know, kicked in the teeth so many times you were going to call it quits and pick something else? Um, yeah, I remember after about six months of doing it, um, I wasn't really getting any traction. I was not getting anywhere. No one was picking on me to to be my agent or anything like that. Truthfully, when I look back, six months is a drop in the bucket for stand-up comedy. You need five years, you know, of real stage time to be that good, to be really good. Um, But I said to my, uh, I had a mother and an aunt, and they were the opposites, personality. So my mother was nervous all the time, and my aunt was not. My aunt Sadie, bless her heart. So I'd say, I said to them one day, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm going to give this six months. And my mother said, two months. <laughs> and my aunt Sadie said, you take as long as you need to do this, and here's my credit card for what you need. So I had somebody in my family who really helped me, bolstered me, pushed me a little bit, you know? That's important too. It's it's good to have the support. Do you, do you, you know back to the money is a motivating factor. If mm-hmm. money wasn't a motivating factor for you, do you think you'd be where you are today? Do you, do you, would the passion have taken you to where you are? I, I had the desire to have some power in the world. I felt powerless as a woman in particular. And a woman who comes from basically, I'm, I'm a working class family, um, first degree, first uh, generation of going to college in my family. My father was a truck driver. My mother was a sewing machine operator. I had no power. And so I had that microphone and that felt a little bit powerful, you know, that you actually can stand up there and people, if you make them laugh, they'll listen to you. And that was important to me. So it wasn't just the money. It's interesting. You said, you said the same thing as Susie Orman. You, I think you're good friends with her, aren't you? I remember. Yes, I know her. She's a great girl. Yeah. She, is she ever? Um, she did a, a series before you did uh, on Rising Tide. And she said two of the same things you said. Number mm-hmm. one is you've got to get your power. There's nothing like that feeling when you have no power. And so she went after the, the power. She also said the same thing you said in different words, no excuses. Don't make any excuses for why it's not working out, whether it's the sexism or the ageism or all these other factors that are, that are obstacles. She right. was very much um, aligned with the idea that just make it happen, period. Yes. There will always be obstacles. That is, that is the essence of all literature. You know, you have a protagonist and then you have an obstacle. And that's what life is about. And if you want to achieve anything, you have to roll with the obstacles and overcome them and then make adjustments and try something else and try a different way. And eventually um, I was on stage so much 
that somebody did come to me eventually and say, hey, I'd like to represent you. And then I had an agent. And then when you have an agent, you have you go further in this business. I don't know what your audience is. They're not obviously they're not all in show business. Everybody's sort of in uh, in the television business. Oh, really? um, the, uh-huh. Yeah, but but it's open to to others. Well, pop it in the chat if you're from a different industry, guys. Um, what I love about this is I when I started Rising Tide, I thought it was going to be a bunch of young kids all saying, uh, how do we get a start? How do we get going? And it turned out to be not that at all. Like everybody wants advice. I mean, I'm 55 and I am always looking for advice. Oh, and I've, and I've, the most bizarre thing, Joy, was that I kind of figured I was going to be the moderator of this uh, Rising Tide series. And after the fourth one, I was like taking notes. Uh And then I realized every single person had something different, had a different little gem that I hadn't thought of or I hadn't focused on. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Um, And I'm just seeing somebody just wrote in the chat, I'm a writer. Uh, Let's see. Uh, singer, author. Paris Lane is a singer and author. Um, Ilana says she just loves mentorship opportunities. Uh, Chandra is a professor at UA. Is that University of Alberta or UA is hard for me to know? Um, a, lot anyway. a lot of Canadians, huh? How about that? Yeah. Good people. Good people. I was looking they to get are. better. Too. Very okay. good people in Canada. Um, this is great. Chris Maloney, um, I work with him and he's one of the smartest people alive. He always has the best questions. He says, how do you describe yourself? Talk show host, comedian, actress. How do other people describe you? Chris Maloney from SVU is asking that question. <laughs> Little different spelling, but same pronunciation. Yeah. So it's not Chris, that wave question. if you're on. I don't know if, if, if his camera's on. I'm not sure, but. Okay. Yeah. So how do I describe myself? So it's how do you describe yourself? Talk show, comedian, actress. And then how do other people describe you? I'd love to know if you think they align. I can only describe myself by what I'm doing at the moment. So right now I would say talk show host and and playwright, because that's what I'm doing. Not comedian, huh? No, I don't do that anymore. But it's not just part of your fabric? Well, you know, you don't you don't lose your, your ability to be funny, I guess. But comedian means you're professionally doing that, and I'm not. And then what do you think other people describe you as? Pain in the butt. <laughs> a, a big fat liberal um <laughs> that good trouble <laughs> i think that people describe me as um person on television that's all press tv personality okay all right jennifer gardner from salt lake asks in this industry it seems hard to create a healthy work-life balance this is a regular recurring um issue and question do you children. have any what's up does she have children Jennifer, are you on? Can I see you and do a thumbs up or thumbs down if you have uh, kiddos? I'm trying to see. It makes it harder. Boy, does it. I'll tell you. Yeah. I don't see her on, but she may not have her camera on. Okay, well, it doesn't matter much. Yeah, pop it in. Oh, yeah. Jennifer says, I have three. She said it in the chat. Sorry, my video yeah, was on. She, she has three children. Three. She got outnumbered. Um, so her, her question is, do you have any advice on how to create 
personal professional boundaries for those whose roles are blurred and who are overworked due to low staffing, plethora of inexperienced new hires. I don't mind hard work and long hours, she says, but it seems my personal life is constantly interrupted for news related issues. What's the question? The work-life balance with all those pressures that seem to just be growing and not abating. How do you, oh, do you have any was, advice? All I can say, I don't know what to tell her, but when I was a single mother, it was not easy to do. You had to worry. You had to go out at night. You had to worry about who stayed with the kid. You know, you have a, this financial issues all the time. Um, if she has a husband, it'll make it a lot easier. And I would say, you know, get him in, in on it and make sure that he supports you. And then it's not as hard to do if you have two people working to to uh, uh, for your career. So it's interesting. Someone just wrote, Sharon wrote, uh, somebody last week used the term work-life integration rather than balance. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, have you set any, certainly at this stage in your career where you, you kind of, you own the world, you know, I feel like the world's your oyster. Maybe you don't feel that way, but you certainly seem to us as though you could call any shot you I'm wanted. Enjoying it. I'm enjoying the show right now. I like the show right now. I've been there 26 years, two years. I was fired from that show also. You see how many times I've been fired. Look on the bright side of getting fired. <laughs> it always puts you to the next thing, you know, because you wouldn't do it because nobody wants to leave a secure position. It's like being married to when you're really sort of unhappily married, but everything's okay, kind of. You know, and then suddenly he finds another a number on the side and then you're getting divorced and then you find another one. It's like that. You, you feel like there's no, there's no real endings. What? There's no, no real endings. Somebody hands you a lemon, you make lemonade as, as the cliche goes. But I, that's what I did. Every time I was fired, I did something else. But you you've know? never run out of gas on that theory? No. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I always want to do something. I'm a creative person. I always want to be creative, which I believe is the opposite of depression, creativity. So I, I, I believe in that. Do and you, um, on the work-life balance, like, do you ever shut stuff down now by saying like, look, that's really important to the show or to the industry, but I'm just done. I need a weekend. I need a day. I need a personal day. Yes, I need a yes. mental health day. Do you do that a lot? Yes, you must do that. You must take care of yourself. That's your first priority is to take care of yourself and make sure that you're not overworking or over stressing. And because then you get then you lose your health and then then you can't do anything. But do you think that there's a chip away at your value in, uh, you know, you, you take a bunch of personal days? You think that the colleagues around you say, hell with that. We're all busting our asses. And she took two days off. You know, do you ever fear? Well, that you're always going to have people who resent you and are, are angry with you for what you do. I don't know. I mean, you can't over you can't overdo it, obviously. But, you know, and sometimes you have to just bite the bullet. But other times you really have to say to yourself, look, I have to I have to call in sick today or whatever it is you have to do. Here's a great question, Joy. I love it because it's super broad. You can take it any way you like. Um, what is one or even two pieces of advice that you think works for everyone. Wow. Right? Yeah, that's a big question. Something that works for everyone. Um. By the way, that's, I told you about Chris Maloney before. Yeah. I'm telling you, he's the smartest guy in the business. He's, he has the greatest questions. Yeah, but that's a big question. I mean, it would depend on who you are, where you are. They I, they always say, I saw something, you know, I used to get those calendars that had one a day quotes yeah. on them. I love those. One of them was tell the truth and run. That's one of my favorites. But another one was do what you can with what you have, where you are. That's okay. Great. So, so 
let's say you're a comedian in Edmonton and there's one little rinky dink comedy club, go on stage there. Don't say, oh, I have to go to New York. I have to go to Toronto. Ply your wares in that spot because that's where you live. Do what you can with what you have where you are. That's my best advice for anybody. Is that your next book? Good one. Is that your next book? Because it's a good one. No, no, but I, I, no, it's not. But I don't really give advice that easily, you know, but this is um, something that I would say. And, and, uh, cause a lot of people there, they're stuck in some, you know, little town somewhere and they don't, they want to be uh, uh, an actress. Well, maybe there's an acting school right where you are and then you get good at it and then move to New York, something like that. What do you think the biggest mistake is that, that the younger generation is making? Right now? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know, but I hope that they're paying t- attention to the country. I hope that they're paying attention to uh, climate change, to politics, to what goes on in international politics. Um, I hope that they are paying attention because things are happening in this country right now that are scary and the young people will have to pay the the piper at some point if they don't do something and pay attention they must vote they must do their due diligence and read the new york times and the washington post and every other periodical that's important to read and not be on the video games all day long that whole thing has to stop i mean i'm very i think this is very important what i'm saying right now because i worry about the country i worry about democracy I worry about the way the planet is being injured and I'll be gone. You know, maybe even you'll be gone, Ashley, by then, you know, because it's going to take a while. It's not going to be overnight, but these kids are going to have to inherit this world. They are indeed. You know what? I love you to pieces. I could ask you a million more questions, but I know you got to go. I've already kept you two minutes over. Um, I Thank you, Joy, for this. Oh, I love it. Welcome. And I hope I was helpful to... in any little small way for anybody. I hope I was helpful. I think it's super helpful. And like I said, like every time I, I interview somebody, there's something else that I learn. And I also like hearing the um, the lessons that you give that are similar to other people who've really succeeded. Uh, because it's I a guess it's not that big a mystery. It's not <laughs> that big a mystery. There's like maybe five things you have to know. <laughs> and that's it. And luck is the crossroads between opportunity and preparation, I always say as well. You really need to be prepared. Make the most of your luck. Make the most of your luck. They used to say um, success is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My mom always told me that. She had it written up on her desk in the, you know, early 70s. And I would be there, you know, playing with stuff under her desk at the Uh the office because she had to go. Money's a great motivator. Hey, um... If you are so inclined, Joy, you should come and join us for Joe Scarborough. He's at February 23rd. And Bob Costas is um, March 15th. So, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Le- thank you for this. Really appreciate yes. it, Joy. And I You're can't welcome. wait to see you. When's the play going to hit the stage? Well, we're, we're working. We have up to a workshop um, level now. We have a director, a great director. Elaine May is my director. You know, the great oh, Elaine yeah. May. Yeah. And uh, we're assembling actors. And then we'll have a week of workshopping the, of the play. And then we'll see if we have backers. And then it moves from there. It's a, it's a process. Oh, it's great. And it's it's uh, Crisis in Queens, and you'll tweet it out. We'll we'll hear your uh, big I'll let announcement. You know, if it ever goes anywhere, I'll let you all know. Believe me. It's going to go places just like you have. Thank you, Joy Behar. Hey. It's great to see you. 
Thank big you. kiss. Thanks, a lot everybody. of kisses. Okay. Thanks, Good everybody. Luck. Good luck. Bye, everyone. Don't forget, you can watch me every night on News Nation at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 p.m. on the West Coast. Don't know where to watch us? Just go to www.joinnn.com. Enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you where you can find us on your broadcast dial. But don't forget, we're also on all the streamers. Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV. This is Ashley Banfield, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of Rising Tide.